Okay, so over the last couple of weeks, I have shared part one and part two of the teaching that goes in tandem with this. It's entitled The Baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you haven't had the opportunity to hear teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I really recommend that you go back and listen to part one and two. Uh, yeah, they're on the table back there. Thank you, Jenny. Will you pass them out? If they people that don't have them. Thank you very, very much. Um, and they're always available on our website. Um, Kent usually gets our stuff posted the, the, the next day. By the latest would be Thursday. And our website is Jesus Christ Heals Today, just like it says up there, JesusChristHealsToday.com. So I started out two weeks ago sharing the evidence that I have in my own life that this is more real than anything here on this earth. I've shared much evidence from the Bible about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to share more tonight. But a couple weeks ago, I shared the evidence that I've seen in my own life. I was diagnosed with cancer 17 years ago, and about two months after that original diagnosis, I wanted all that God had. I didn't want to miss out on anything. And I invited him to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I asked him, very simply, I asked for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I have seen the evidence of the power of the baptism in my life. At that time, there was such a a fast, high acceleration in my spiritual walk with God. And there was so many, many times when the word came into reality to me. Before that, the word was good news. It was really, really good news. Um, For those of you who didn't know me or don't know my story, I didn't know the word. I didn't know Jesus personally. I didn't have a personal relationship with him when I was given a death sentence of stage 4 melanoma. When I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, the news that I was learning from the Bible, the things that people were telling me became real. They became breathed, life was breathed into the word from the the page into my heart. It turned from logos word, which is good. Logos word is every word in scripture. It changed from logos word into rhema word. Rhema word is when God speaks life into it. He speaks it right to your heart. That happened with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell more about the power benefits of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do a quick review. But I want you to know that I know this is true. There's teaching out there that says it isn't for today. I 100 billion percent disagree. I have lived and seen the evidence. And so many of you can say, yep, I agree, right? So for those of you who haven't yet had this experience... You have a lot of evidence right here in this room. So I'm going to teach because I believe that one of the reason people don't receive the good stuff God has is a lack of knowledge. And I'm not teaching you from some other textbook. I'm teaching you from the word of God. So I'm going to do a little bit of review, quick review. The first thing I want to share with you is that we are promised... The baptism of the Holy Spirit, very specifically, six times in the Bible. We are specifically, clearly promised the baptism of the Holy Spirit 
six times, and I'm going to read them to you. The first four promises are from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four Gospels tell the same account. There are very few accounts that are repeated in all four Gospels. Accounts of healings, accounts of the, the bread and loaves multiplying, etc. All of those accounts, very few of them are repeated in all four Gospels. This is. So I'm going to start with Matthew. Matthew 3, verse 11. John the Baptist is speaking. And he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That literally is saying that Jesus is the baptizer. That Jesus is the one who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In the Gospel of, of Mark, this is the way it's, it's portrayed. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. In verse 7, it goes on to say, And he preached, saying, There comes after me one who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I'm not even worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of Luke, Luke says, Now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ that they were waiting for or not, John answered them and he said to them, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandals I'm not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then John, the Gospel of John. And John the Baptist bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him, upon Jesus. I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So we see right there four times where it's very specifically, it doesn't say um, um, this, a Spirit will come or the Holy Spirit. It literally says the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The word baptism means to immerse. Baptism of the Holy Spirit means to be immersed into the Holy Spirit, to be endued, to be clothed with. It's almost like walking into a cloud, having the Spirit surround you and not only around you, but in you. Here's another um, um, proof that the baptism of the Holy Spirit has been promised in the Bible, not by Cindy, but by God. This is Acts chapter 1, and this is Jesus himself speaking. Being assembled together with them, he, that's Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Can, can you turn me down just a little bit? Now, Jesus, in his ministry, especially near the end of the ministry, 
uh, promised numerous times about the, the outpouring of the Spirit. He used the words, the promise. He used the words, the gift. He used the words, the Spirit of truth. Um, a lot of examples of promising the Spirit who would come after him. But there are six times when it's literally called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's one more. This is also in the book of Acts. This is after Jesus completely finished his work. It's after he was crucified, after he died, after he was dead for three days, after he resurrected and showed himself to many, many people, after he ascended into heaven and the new church is birthed. And this is Peter speaking in Acts chapter 11. Peter went out and started sharing the gospel. He went out and started sharing the good news. That he shared about Jesus. He shared about the resurrected Jesus. But he also shared about the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, this is all you need. Jesus and salvation. Because it wasn't all they needed. They needed the Holy Spirit as well. So in this account, he had been called by Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. He was an Italian Gentile. He was not of the Jewish race. And an angel of God came to Cornelius and told him about Peter. And he said, send your people to Peter, ask Peter to come, and then listen to him. So Cornelius did it. If an angel came and told you to do something, you'd probably listen, right? He did. And then the angel also went to Peter and told Peter that people would be coming to get him and it was okay to go. Even though they were Gentiles, it was okay to go. So they, that God ordained the whole thing. Peter went to this home, Cornelius' home, and when he got there, as he began to speak, here these Gentile people are, they don't know anything about Jesus. As he began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. And then Peter says, I remembered the word of the Lord and how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when Peter took the gospel of Jesus, the truth about the resurrected Jesus, people were also, when they believed, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we see that pattern all through the book of Acts. We see that pattern in, in the, the birth of the new church. And that's where we are right here today. We are part of that church that was birthed in the book of Acts. That's who we are. John indeed baptized with water, but you and I shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So over the last couple of weeks, I've shared two huge power powers that come through the Holy Spirit. Two, and we need them both desperately. The first, the first is the power within us to strengthen us spiritually, to grow us up and to strengthen us spiritually. Now, when I told you about that fast acceleration that happened to me when I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, this is what happened. This is a healing class. You came for healing. You came to have a touch from God. This power of the Holy Spirit within you is the best news I can give you 
to get that touch from God. We need the Holy Spirit within us to build us up spiritually. And again, I'm just doing a quick review. But in John 16, 13, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Truth trumps facts. This is truth. It trumps MRI reports. It trumps doctor's reports. It trumps symptoms. It trumps anything in this world. It, in other words, it wins. Amen. The Holy Spirit will guide you. We need that help because there's so many facts staring us in our face or in our emotions, our feelings, our bodies. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us into truth. The word says knowing the truth sets us free. The Holy Spirit guides us into knowing the truth. Right now, I believe the Holy Spirit is doing that. He's guiding you right now. He's guiding me to take this truth in. And it has the potential to change everything. And that's good news. In John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance what Jesus has already spoken to you. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10 through 12, the Holy Spirit will communicate revelation of God to you. That's what he did with me when he took the, the, the fact or the, the logos and breathed life into it and made it real to me. That's faith. Our part in receiving is faith. And the Holy Spirit stirred that in me. I believe that was a result of being immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit through his baptism. In 1 Corinthians 14, 4, the Holy Spirit builds you up spiritually. It's, you need built up spiritually when you're in the battle, when you're in pain, when you've got doctor's reports that are anti-God. They don't agree with God. We need to be built up spiritually and edified. The Holy Spirit does that. And Jude 1.20, the Holy Spirit energizes your faith. It's like um, uh, um, making it uh, activated. So you have a belief. You have a word that's been breathed into your heart. That's faith. The Holy Spirit activates that faith. It's like turning on the switch. And that's taking the, the, the present, the gift, the healing that Jesus has purchased out of the spiritual realm where it's already done and into your life, into your body, into your whatever it is that your need is. It like turns the switch on. The Holy Spirit does that. I've experienced it. It's, I can't, I can't express it in words as much as I want to. It is so, so powerful and so, so real. So that's the number one power. It's power within for every one of us individually, but that's not all. The number two part of the power is that the Holy Spirit works through us to testify of Jesus, both in words and in miracles, signs, and wonders. Words and power. That's why you're here. That's why I went to healing meetings, to hear about Jesus and to receive prayer, to receive laying on of hands and healing. 
I had a death sentence. I needed healing. And that's another powerful benefit of the Holy Spirit. We need it. I'm nothing without God. I am nothing without him. But with him, oh boy, together we're everything. Amen. So here's some evidence. Here's some scriptural evidence. John 14. This is from the Passion Translation. I tell you this timeless truth. The person, Jesus is speaking, guys. Jesus is saying these words. And he says, I tell you this timeless truth. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do. And even greater miracles than these. Because I go to be with my father. So here's Jesus. He's still on this earth. He hasn't died yet when he speaks these words. And he's saying, guys, if you believe, you'll do even greater works. Because I go to my father. Hmm. And then two or four, it's actually four verses later, verse 16. He says, and I will ask the father. And he will give you another savior. That word is parakletos. In most translations, it says another comforter or another helper. He will give you another just like him. He will give you another savior, the Holy Spirit of truth. So four verses before, he's saying, you're going to do even greater miracles. And because I go to my father. And then he says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He says, I will send you, he will give you another Savior, the Holy Spirit of truth, who will be to you a friend just like me. And he will never leave you. The world won't receive him because they can't see him or know him. But you will know him intimately. But you will know him intimately because he will make his home in you and will live inside of you. He's in me. The spirit of God dwells permanently in me. And he does in all of us who have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Mark 16. Mark 16 takes place after Jesus' death and resurrection. And he's giving us a commission. He's giving us a commission to go out and to do those greater things. He said to them, and he said to me, and he said to you, as you go into all the world, preach openly the wonderful news of the gospel to the entire human race. Whoever believes the good news and is baptized will be saved. That word saved is sozo. Sozo means saved, healed, delivered, set free, made whole. And whoever does not believe the good news will be condemned. These miracle signs will accompany those who believe. They will drive out demons in the power of my name. That's deliverance. They will speak in new tongues. That's baptism of the Holy Spirit. They will be supernaturally protected from snakes and from drinking anything poisonous or eating food with food poisoning or going to Africa with malaria stuff out there. We will be protected. And they will lay hands on the sick and heal them. That's healing. That's the miracle signs and wonders that Jesus carried. He said believers will do the same thing. But we need the Holy Spirit to work through us. 
And I want to give you one more example. This is from the book of Romans. Oops. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot the next verse. After saying, this is back to the commission that I just read. After saying these things, Jesus was lifted up into heaven. This was his ascension. He was lifted up into heaven and sat down at the place of honor at the right hand of God. From that point on, he has never stepped foot on this earth. He's in heaven now. And the apostles went out announcing the good news everywhere as the Lord himself consistently worked with them, validating the message they preached with miracle signs that accompanied them. That's the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus on this earth confirming the word. And that's what we see here today. That's what's happening right now as we speak. Now, the next example I want to give you is from the book of Romans. This is the Apostle Paul. And he's just living out what Jesus said he would do. He's living out, sharing the word and seeing the power um, confirm the word. Listen to this. Paul says, yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Elycrium. So how did Paul, um, how did he present the good news? By the word and the power, by the word and the miracles and the signs and the wonders. And it was through him. He said, it's nothing about me. I don't boast about anything except what Christ has done through me. And that's through the Holy Spirit. I want to share a little testimony that happened last week that this, was, this happened to me. Um, I had a gentleman call who has, was very, very, very need, a huge need for healing. And that's a nice one. <laughs> okay, we're good. So in this, when this gentleman called me, he was in so much pain, and he had lived a life of pain. And he was to the point where he was, he just, was, he was done. He was giving up. He was disappointed. He was frustrated. He didn't know where to turn. He was in, in just terrible pain. Are we good now? Okay. Thank you, Alice. So... Um, so when he called me, this happened for those of you who haven't been here in a while. I just had a wedding in my family two weeks ago and it was in the midst of the wedding weekend. So it was a very busy time in my home. I took the call and I was by myself in a, in a room by myself, but my heart was like, like, I got to get back to my family. I got a wedding going on. Right? So there was not, I didn't feel anointed. I didn't feel the power of the Holy spirit. That doesn't matter. You don't have to feel. So as I'm talking to this gentleman, what I'm thinking in my head is, if I try to share with him good news right now, it's not the time. He has so much pain, and it has been literally, hes I don't know his age, but my guess is he's probably my age, in his 60s or older, and it started when he was 11. He had back surgeries when he was 11. And if I started to tell him this, this fairy tale, really good news, which it is really good news, it is too good to be true news, but it is true. But if I started telling him, it was like, that's, it was like God saying, mm-mm, not now. He said, pray. God said, just pray, Cindy. So that's what I did. 
I, I said, I'm going to pray. I'm just going to pray. So I stopped, didn't do any talking, didn't tell him anything. I just started praying. And God touched him. It was so cool. So I, I prayed. Like I said, I didn't feel any anointing. I was just praying and letting Holy Spirit do his thing. And the man started on the other end of the phone. He was absolutely dumbfounded. He was shocked. He, he said, the pain, it's gone. The pain is leaving. He said, I take pain medicine all the time, and this isn't normal. This isn't what pain medicine does. The pain immediately went down huge, not 100%, but in a huge way. And then he started saying, I, he, said, he said, I'm doing things I can't do. And his wife, I was on speakerphone, and she said the same thing. She said, he hasn't been able to do this in years. And I don't know exactly what he was doing, but whatever it was, he wasn't able to do. He was completely overwhelmed with the power of God. And then I started to tell him the good news. Then I started to tell him about how much God loved him and that it was his will for him to be well. And then I started to share some teaching with him. I, and the next week, he ordered our Bible study. God says, yes, we say amen, and the videos that go with it. So he has a tool now, and he can feed his heart with truth. That was the time God needed to show him himself, and that was the Holy Spirit power working through me. It wasn't me. It had nothing to do with me. I wasn't even all in at that moment, but God was. That's how he works. That's how awesome he is. So the power of the Holy Spirit works through us to testify of Jesus, to show who Jesus is. Before I go on to the next part of this teaching, it's a really important part of this teaching, I want to share a word that God gave me yesterday. Um, I can't tell you enough how important the baptism of the Holy Spirit is on your healing journey, in life, period, but especially on your healing journey. But yesterday morning as I was praying, I I just asked God, God, what do you have for your people? What do you want me to share? He said the same thing. I'm going to just read it to you. But basically what he's saying is, we need the Holy Spirit. And this is what what I, I heard. He said, tell my people that they need my spirit. But they must be open and welcome my gift, the promise. They must ask, and then I will breathe my holy fire into them. And then my spirit will take up residence within and dwell with them forever. This is my desire, my gift of love. First, I gave you my son. Now I give my spirit. So, Father, I just pray right now that we are open, that we are welcoming of your spirit. And that, Father, as I share tonight, as I continue to share, that there is just an unveiling of your plan and your purpose for all of us. Come, Holy Spirit. You are welcome. In Jesus' name. So when I taught a couple weeks ago, Jim had a really good question, and um, I decided I needed to address it. 
because I've been sharing really good news about the Holy Spirit. But there are some misconceptions about the Holy Spirit that are commonly shared in Christian circles, in Christian churches. And I want to show you, according to the Bible, the truth and clarify the questions, clarify the concerns that so many people have. These are really good questions, and they're really good concerns. So I want to go there tonight. So I've got several questions we're going to address. And the first one is, is this baptism of the Holy Spirit for all? Is it available for all believers? Because one of the things that we hear is there's a gift of the Spirit. There's gifts of the Spirit that come and go as the Spirit wills. And that's very true. We're going to talk about that. But the bottom line is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we saw as promised six times in Scripture is available for all believers. So the script, one of the Scripture references I want to give to you right now is in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. This is right after the initial outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost where 120 people are filled with the Holy Spirit and then immediately Peter... The one who denied Jesus 40 days earlier, Peter stands up and gives this powerful sermon. And at the end of his powerful sermon, people are literally cut to the heart. That's what the Bible says. And they said, what do we need to do to get what you have? And this is what Peter said. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So that promise, the promise, the promise, that's what Jesus called the Spirit. The promise is for you and your children. I take that for me and my children. It's for me. It's for my children. It's for those who are near. It's those who are far off. It's those who are near to, to in their walk with God. It's those who are way far off in worldliness. It's for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles. It's for every race. It's for every person. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for all. Is there biblical evidence that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is evidenced with speaking in tongues? Because this whole tongues thing gets people um, concerned. And there's a lot of stuff out there negative about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and tongues? Well, here's the the bottom line. The answer is yes. Yes, there is biblical evidence that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is evidenced with speaking in tongues. And the bottom line is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, especially in the book of Acts, is so closely linked with the external manifestation of tongues that this should be considered the norm. I'm not saying it's always the case, but I think it always can be. And I'm not saying you have to speak in tongues, but you get to. Yeah, you get to. And it's awesome. So last week or two weeks ago, I shared a little bit about the benefits of tongues. And I'm just going to share those a little bit, just real briefly again. I'm going to give you scriptures to back this up. One of the first benefits is that when we pray... In a heavenly language, when we pray in tongues, we are praying the perfect will of God. We're praying in agreement with God. We're praying the perfect will of God. The scripture evidence for that is Romans 8, verses 28 and 20, or 26 and 27. Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. 
Another reason, another benefit of praying in tongues is that revelation of God is unveiled. That's what happened to me in a magnificent way at the very beginning of my journey. That's when the word became real. Scriptural evidence of that is 1 Corinthians 2, verses 10 through 16. Another powerful benefit is spiritual edification, being built up spiritually. We've already mentioned that. The, the scriptural evidence is 1 Corinthians 14, 4. And another benefit is that your faith is energized. The switch is flipped on. The power switch is flipped on for your faith. And that's Jude 1.20. So there's biblical evidence for tongues. If you read the book of Acts, I recommend you do this. With a lens of looking for the Holy Spirit. Read the book of Acts, and every time you, you, you read about the Holy Spirit, every time you read about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or the outpouring of the Spirit, or the, the, the evidence of praying in tongues, mark it all up in your Bible and put HS next to it. And just see how the Holy Spirit is just moving to and fro in the church. And he is today as well. The next thing I want to do, and I'm going to spend some time here, is I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I recommend if you have your Bibles that you open up your Bibles. Um, I, have, I have given you lots of scripture references. They're on your handout. But what I want to show you, this chapter is often used to, um, as an argument against praying in tongues, which is an evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But when you read the whole chapter, you'll see that that's not at all what Paul is talking about. And I'm going to read this little paragraph that's on your sheet. In this chapter, a Paul, the Apostle Paul is concerned with the church of Corinth because they're out of order. The church is out of order. They weren't centered on the word. They weren't centered on teaching about Jesus. They weren't centered on teaching about the resurrected Christ. Their focus was on manifestations of the spirit. Now, there's nothing wrong with manifestations of the spirit, but not without the word and not without our focus on Jesus. That's out of order. And that's what he was correcting them about. The same thing happens today. There are, there are times when, when people are so excited about the move of God that that's where their focus is. It's all about the manifestations of the Spirit. But if there is not teaching about the Word, if there's not teaching about Jesus, then that can, vary, that can get off into um, uh, um, the possibility of spiritualism. Spiritualism is not always God. It can be negative spiritualism. If you're hungry for signs and wonders, the devil will, will he'll give them to you. And that's why there's confusion about the gifts of the Spirit. There are times when the enemy is, is, is distracting with stuff that isn't of God. That's why it's so important that the word is shared and that Jesus is shared. So we're not going to get confused with all the manifestations of the spirit without the word. 
And that's what Paul was saying. And that's a good thing to be corrected about. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through scriptures in that chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I'm going to put them in two categories. I'm going to first show you a bunch of scriptures that are powerful, positive truths about speaking in tongues. Good news, good, awesome things about speaking in tongues. So let's go there first. This is verse 2. When someone speaks in tongues, no one understands a word he says because he's not speaking to people but to God. He is speaking intimate mysteries in the spirit. So what this is saying is true and it's good and it's powerful. The bottom line is your brain gets out of the way, your intellect gets out of the way, and it's all the spirit of God with you praying to the Father. And it's awesome. We're not speaking to people, but to God. We're speaking intimate mysteries in the spirit. I just felt the anointing just fall on that when I spoke that out. And that's powerful and it's good. The next piece of good news, verse four, the one who speaks in tongues advances his own spiritual progress while the one who prophesies builds up the church. That doesn't say one's bad and one's good. When you pray in tongues, you're built up yourself. We already talked about that. You're edified. But what Paul was saying was when you're in a church setting, it's more important that the whole church is built up. And that's why it talks about prophecy. Prophecy is a gift of the spirit where the body of believers is comforted or exhorted or built up. And that's a good thing. They're both good things. But he is he is. He is clarifying, Paul is clarifying in the scripture that when we speak in tongues, it's only for individuals. It's not for the body of Christ. So that's not the best environment to be speaking in tongues. We're going to go more there in just a second. The next verse, verse 5, Paul says, I would be delighted if you all spoke in tongues, but I desire even more that you impart prophetic revelation to others. Greater gain comes through the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless there's an interpretation that builds up the entire church. So once again, Paul says, first of all, first thing he says, I'd be delighted if everyone spoke in tongues. So here's the Apostle Paul. We know his reputation. We know what a powerful man of God he was, what an impact he had on the church. And he says, I would be delighted if you all spoke in tongues. That doesn't sound to me like him saying, don't do that. But he is clarifying that in a church, it's even better to give prophecy. Because then um, um, the whole church is being built up so that it builds up the entire church. And we'll talk in a minute about tongues with interpretation. So just hold that question or that thought. The next verse, verse 15, Paul says, so here's what I've concluded. I will pray in the spirit, but I will also pray in the understanding with my mind engaged. I will sing rapturous praises in the spirit, but I will also sing with my mind engaged. So he's saying, Paul says, I'm going to do both. I'm going to pray in the spirit and I'm going to pray in the understanding. I'm going to sing in the spirit. I'm going to sing in the understanding. That's the Apostle Paul talking. He doesn't say, I'm not going to speak in tongues. He doesn't say, it's wrong, I'm not doing it. He says, oh, I am doing it, but I'm also going to pray in the understanding. 
The next verse, verse 18. I give thanks to God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Again, that's our Paul. He's talking about speaking in tongues more than all of us. And then verse 39. So, beloved friends, with all this in mind, be passionate to prophesy and don't forbid anyone from speaking in tongues. I am not going to be forbidden. I am not going to be told that it is not something I should do. Paul says, don't forbid anyone from speaking in tongues. So those are some positives about tongues that are in the midst of this chapter. Now I want to go to why Paul wrote this chapter to the church, because there was a problem in the church. And I want to go to the cautions and clarifications, and these are for us too. Here's the first one. Verses 10 through 13. This is all from the same chapter. This is all from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul says, I suppose that the world has all sorts of languages, and each conveys meanings to the one who speaks it. But I'm like a foreigner if I don't understand the language, and the speaker will be like a foreigner to me. And that's what's happening among you. You are so passionate about embracing the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Now become even more passionate about the things that strengthen the entire church. See what he's saying? You're too focused on those manifestations of the Spirit. You need to be focused on what will build up the people. So then, if you speak in a tongue, pray for the interpretation to be able to unfold the meaning of what you're saying. In the, in the first outpouring of the Spirit, in the chap, second chapter of Acts, when we read about the outpouring, it says that people from other countries, other nationalities, understood the, the prayer language in their own language. They understood it. That is not the norm. And we see it right here. Because Paul says... I'm like a foreigner if I don't understand the language. That's what's happening among you when you just pray in tongues. The reason I said that is because I have also heard the teaching that the only true speaking in tongues is when people can understand it in other languages. That does happen. I have heard many testimonies of that happening where somebody is praying in tongues and somebody from a different Nationality with a different first language understands what is being said in their language. But that's not the norm. The norm is that when you're praying that language, you're praying from your heart to God. You're praying the perfect will of God, but you don't know in your own brain what you're praying unless there's an interpretation. We're going to talk about that in a second. But this scripture, Paul is saying, it's a problem. It was a problem. They were so focused in this church about the Holy Spirit manifestation that nobody was learning anything. If I stood here, and I usually teach about an hour, if I spoke for an hour in tongues, you would walk out and you wouldn't have any new learning in your heart to walk out with. And that's what Paul's saying. In the next verse, Paul says, this is verse 19, but in the church setting... I would rather speak five words that can be understood than 10,000 exotic words in a tongue. That way I could have a role in teaching others. Paul says, in a church setting, it's more important to teach with, with, you know, with your, your, the language of the people. 
than it is to speak in an exotic tongue. He's correcting them because they weren't doing that. And then verse 26 through 28. Beloved friends, what does all this imply? When you conduct your meetings, you should always let everything be done to build up the church family. And I'm going in and out. Thanks. Beloved friends, what does all this imply? When you conduct your meetings, you should always let everything be done to build up the church family. Whether you share a song of praise, a teaching, a divine revelation. We have seen all three of those this night already. We have praised God. I have been teaching. I gave you a revelation from God, a word from God. We are doing things in order here. And then he goes on and he says, or a tongue and interpretation. Whatever you're doing, let each one contribute what strengthens others. If someone speaks in a tongue, it should be two or three, one after another with someone interpreting. If there's no one with the interpretation, then he should remain silent in the meeting content to speak to himself and to God. Okay, let's talk about tongues and interpretation. We're going to talk again about gifts of the Spirit in a second. But they're they're two different things. Devotional tongues is different than the gift of tongues. In the gift of tongues, a word goes forth that is from the Holy Spirit, and it is for the people. When that happens, there needs to be an interpretation. They always go hand in hand. So that the word that God is sharing, the word that he wants the people to hear, is interpreted in in the native language of the people. So that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying there shouldn't be devotional tongues. There shouldn't be people just speaking in tongues because nobody's being built up. So... In church, there should be teaching. There should be divine revelation or prophecy. There should be praise and worship. There should be and can be tongues if there are interpretations of the tongue. And then the last one, verse 40. Do all things in a beautiful and an orderly way. So the gist of this chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, is order. Order in this church setting so that everybody is built up. And that leads me to the, to the next big question, the difference, and this is where I'm going to go into detail, about the difference between devotional tongues, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and the gift of tongues, or the gifts of the Spirit. So generally speaking, there is a parallel flow of the Holy Spirit, a parallel flow. There's a parallel flow of the Holy Spirit. The first flow is what we've been talking about over the last three weeks. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to build you up on the inside, to flow through you, to um, testify of Jesus. Parallel flow. That's what we've been talking about, the first level. The second level is the gifts of the Spirit. They are both awesome. God has gifted us with the baptism of the Holy Spirit 
and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 is the most common scripture that we read about the gifts of the Spirit. Starting in verse 7. But the manifestations of the Spirit, the manifestation, the Spirit being made visible right here in our atmosphere, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So look at the last line there. It says the same, the Spirit works these things. The Spirit is doing these things through the people, through each individual as the Spirit wills. Those are called gifts of the Spirit. So if you look at the charts, these are the charts that Jim was talking about last week. There's two charts that you're going to see on your paper. This is where we're going to kind of wrap this thing up. The parallel flow, I'm going to give you an example. One of the one of this Holy Spirit flows is through me, through the Holy Spirit-filled believer with my will. And the other is through the Spirit of God and the will of the Spirit of God. So let me give you a few examples. Here's the first one. Believers, spirit-filled believers, obtain wisdom by asking God. In James, it says, if you need wisdom to ask, and God will give it to you liberally without reproach. So when I need wisdom, I ask God. I pray for wisdom. I listen to the Holy Spirit. I often pray in tongues, and I say, God, help me to know the direction to go. And I get direction from him. That's the Holy Spirit working in me. That's one of the flows of the Holy Spirit. But there's also a gift of wisdom. The word of wisdom is a gift of the Holy Spirit. That is often in a church setting or in a a ministry setting where the Holy Spirit is giving direction and helping you to have wisdom. He worked this way last night when we were ministering. I was ministering um, uh, corporately at the end of the meeting. And God gave me a step for the people to take. It was very clearly a Holy Spirit gift. It's nothing I would have come up with. I gave a word of, of knowledge about a need It was an emotional need. And then God gave me a direction. It was a word of wisdom for the people to take. A word of wisdom. I didn't know it. It was the Holy Spirit speaking and me delivering it. That's a gift of the Spirit. Here's another example. Believers obtain knowledge by study of the word. When I need When I want to know, it says in Ephesians 1, it says, God, open the eyes of my heart to know you more. Open the eyes of my heart to understand. And that comes through through the the word of God. And again, 
back to that time at the beginning of my journey when all of a sudden it began to be open to me. The word of God was open through the Holy Spirit in me, through the word, through reading the word, through the word coming alive. That's one flow of the Holy Spirit. But there are also words of knowledge, which is a gift of the Spirit. And that's where God gives knowledge about something we don't know about. I have a list of things that God told me. I'm going to give to you in a minute. These are words of knowledge that I was praying this morning, and he's revealing things to me about you that I don't know. Those are words of knowledge. They're gifts of the Spirit for the prophet of the the body of Christ, especially in a church or a ministry setting. Another example on your sheet, um, believers obtain faith by hearing the word. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by meditating on the word, hearing the word. Faith just rises up. That's the Holy Spirit just stirring, stirring, stirring within your heart. Faith arises. But there's also a gift of faith. It's a spiritual gift. And with the gift of faith, the Holy Spirit, it's awesome. It's miraculous. The Holy Spirit takes faith and plunks it right in you, and it goes right hand in hand with a healing or a miracle. Because along with that faith, the miracle comes. It's a special gift of faith. It's different than the faith that you get through hearing the word and letting the Holy Spirit just stir it in your heart. This is the parallel flow of the Holy Spirit that we're talking about. Another example. Believers obtain healing by believing and receiving Jesus' finished work of the cross. That's why you're here. You're hearing about Jesus, the healer. You're hearing about his will to heal. You're, you're growing and learning and believing. And as that stirs up, healing comes. I see so many people receive healing. That's typically how I see it happen. That's how I was healed. It was coming to know truth and then believing it and receiving it. And it all happened with the Holy Spirit working in me to make it real so that that faith could come alive and the flip, the switch could be flipped and I could receive it. And I did. But there's also a gift or gifts of healings. Marlene received a gift of healing. She came to church quadriplegic. Can, can you turn this up just a little bit? I feel like I have to talk. She came to church legally blind. She came to church spastic with cerebral palsy that she'd had from birth. And she walked out of the church healed. That was a gift of healing. That was a Holy Spirit gift. Parallel flow of the Holy Spirit. I'm just as healed as Marlene. But I was healed through faith. She was healed through gift of spirit, the gift of healing. And the last example is tongues. Praying in the spirit, what we've been talking about for the last three sessions, is a result of the infilling of the Holy Spirit and a desire to pray God's will as I pray in tongues. But there's also the gift of praying in tongues, the gift of tongues with interpretation. Let me try to explain this. When I pray in tongues, when I speak in tongues, 
there's just a, a stirring in my heart, absolutely. There is a knowing that Holy Spirit is, is working with me. It's like we're working together. The Spirit is in me, and I am giving him my voice, and he, he works to reveal things to me, to speak to me, to, to give me direction, all that good stuff. It's awesome. But when there's a gift of the Spirit with um, a gift of tongues, it's different. When there's a gift of tongues, instead of me praying and, and ministering to him and him speaking to me personally, it's the Holy Spirit prompting that tongue to go forth. It feels different. It sounds different. When that comes in a setting, a ministry setting, it's as if everybody senses the spirit taking over. You can hear it in the voice of the person that is giving the word. It's, it's sometimes this, the sound of the language even changes. The tone of the language changes where it seems more, um, uh, I don't know, powerful from heaven to earth. It's hard to describe it. But you know that God is doing something. It's just amazing. And then there is always an interpretation. Now, whoever's being prompted to interpret has to choose to give it. It may be the person who has the, the tongue from the Holy Spirit for the people. It might be the same person that gives the interpretation. It might be another person. But there will be an interpretation. But whoever is being prompted needs to release it. Because we have a choice. God is a gentleman. He's not going to force us. He's not going to force us to give a word. He's not going to force us to interpret a word. We need to be obedient to the prompting. So the last chart on your paper gives you a beautiful picture of the, the praying your, in your devotional tongue and the gift of tongues and how they are very distinct. So as I speak in my devotional tongue, it's me, it's man speaking to God. It's awesome. It's my prayer language. It's me praying to God. But a gift of tongues is God speaking to man. When I pray in my devotional tongues, it's my prayer going up to heaven. It's me praying going up to heaven. But with a gift of tongues, it's God's word coming down from heaven to us. When I pray in my devotional tongues, it's voluntary and it's continuous. It's my choice. It's my, my will. And I literally say I can, I can start praying in tongues and I can stop praying in tongues at any time. And I'm going to just pray in tongues right now. I wasn't planning on praying in tongues for long, but oh my goodness. 
just seeing in the spiritual realm. Mm. But I can stop. <laughs> and then I can start later. I can choose to pray in tongues whenever I want to, morning, noon, night, today, tomorrow, a month from now. It's voluntary. It's continuous. But the gift of tongues is spontaneous because God's deciding that part. He's deciding the when, the where, the how. So it's spontaneous. My devotional tongues is my will. It's my choice. But the gift of tongues is as the Spirit wills. My devotional tongues is self-instigated. I, I choose to start. The gift of tongues is spirit-prompted, but it must be obeyed. Or it needs to be obeyed, I should say. It needs to be obeyed in order for it to come forth. So they're very distinct. So the bottom line is the baptism of the Holy Spirit with tongues is an amazing gift. And it's for everybody. It's not something that only some people can use. That's the gift of tongues. And even that is available for all believers. So, I cannot give a message like this without an invitation to receive all that God has for you. Because he said this to you. He said, tell my people that they need my spirit. But they need to be open. They must be open and welcome my gift, the promise. They must ask and then I will breathe my holy fire into them. And then my spirit will take up residence within and dwell with them forever. This is my desire for my people. It's my gift of love. First I gave my son, and now I give my spirit. So, Father, we just come to you right now, and we do what you say. We ask. Father, I'm asking for me right now. I'm also asking for those who are stirred right now in their belly. That you're wooing them right now. Maybe for the first time, maybe for a refreshing, refueling, refilling. But whatever it is, Father, we're asking. We're asking for the Holy Spirit and fire. We're asking for the baptism of the Spirit and fire. We're asking, Lord, to be filled with that power that we've been talking about. For that power to come alive. We don't want, a, we don't want a, a, a sleeping Holy Spirit, God. But I know that our part is to welcome you. To say, I believe. To be open. To say, God, okay, if you say it, I want it. If you give it, I receive it. You're a good, good father, and you give good, good gifts. We believe in Jesus. And today, we say, God, if your word about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for me, like Cindy says it is, will you give it to me now? Will you fill me now? Will you baptize me now? Will you pour out your, your spirit on me now? Will you come and dwell in me forever? Like, the, like that scripture says, will you do that now? Holy Spirit, come. 
Holy Spirit, come. We invite you to baptize us right now. And I'm going to pray right now in tongues. And I invite you to just, if you already are baptized in the Holy Spirit with tongues, join me. If you're not, and you've just asked, I guess you are. (laughs) So if you have just asked and you feel something bubbling up in you, Give it a try. Open your mouth. See what God, what words God gives you. Let him speak through you. Because there's so many beautiful, beautiful benefits of speaking in tongues. So I'm going to start speaking in tongues, and then I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit um, move us into the ministry time of the meeting. Ora shata si karia sholodo foro morarara. Isaliaria koria shopo salara karia morara. Lara shota si scaliariada. Hiscaliaria koria shoto fosi aliada. Mora marara moriaria shoto fosi aliada. Iscaliaria koria shoto fosi aliada karia shata. Molara mora maramara. Iskaria shoto si, iskaliaria korio morara, korea shoto fosi aliariara, iskaliaria korea. I'm just sensing like this cloud, like this uh, at the old uh, Old Testament. They had the tent of meeting, and there was a cloud that covered them by day and a fire by night. And that's what I'm just seeing in this room. Just kind of we're immersed. Oliara Corio Shoto Sialiara, Corio Shoto Mariariara, Ora Sialiaria Shota, O Saliara Corio Shoto Mariariara, Iscaliaria Corio Shoto Mariariara, Scorro Shoto Si, Coria Shoto Mariara, Coria Shoto Sialiara. I